Hey, this is Cameron Crowe, and you're listening to Sound Sessions. Taking Sundance by Storm, David Crosby, Remember My Name, directed by A.J. Eaton, threads the strangely beautiful life of the living legend David Crosby, famous for creating sounds in such bands like The Birds, Crosby, Stills, Nash, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Our guest today is author, director, Rolling Stones journalist and editor, but most importantly, music lover, Cameron Crowe. Cameron, it's great to talk with you today. Great to talk with you. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing so well. I'm doing so well. As I said before, we jumped into the interview. Congrats on the film and everything. It's it's truly an exciting, exciting journey to walk through David Crosby's life for a few minutes. It's definitely an adventure. I I, I love uh, music, as you say, but there's there's just something about a character that's so big and so kind of classic in the way he tells a story, and you know tells you some truths about a very checkered life mm-hmm. that you, you just love you love it you know you can see there are very few people that you'll ever meet in your life like david crosby and you definitely meet him in this movie <laughs> you know the movie starts with him talking about living in chicago we're based here in chicago and so as legend goes and a lot of people who follow david crosby's career know he liked to partake in the marijuana plant every once in a while and he went through this amazing visceral moment with music when someone kicks open this door to, to, to see him and just starts playing a solo on the saxophone. I hope I'm not giving too much away, but it's just, it just blew me away. No. What was your first visceral moment with music that you thought, wow, you know, this is something I can make a career out of? Well, it's, it's kind of uh, in Almost Famous, the movie that I, I directed kind of about like how I first got started in music journalism. If you're going to be a true journalist, you know, a rock journalist, you first you never get paid much, but you will get free records from the record company. And it was essentially that I loved music so much, I just, you know, I sought out my heroes. I sought out Lester Banks, who was my favorite rock journalist. He was from my hometown. He came home for Christmas, and I found him and pounced on him and said, I want to do this. He gave me an assignment to write about uh, Humble Pie, the band Humble Pie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I went backstage and got kicked out and got back in and found my way to the band and basically been interviewing people ever since. But you you, you, um, you rarely run into somebody like David Crosby, you know, who you just ask him one question. And he's telling you his deepest, darkest, most painful and hilarious secrets. It's like, you never forget a guy like that. And I, I, uh, I would write about him over the years, but then when I ran into him later, and, uh, and he said he wanted to do a documentary, it was like, well, you know, i got to at least do the interviews for this. And, and then, of course, we started our journey, and it became something that I was really invested in, and I worked a lot with AJ, and we, it was a very communal experience making the movie. Very personal and uh, as intimate as as our subject is. Yeah, I, I noticed that in the in the film. Uh, the the my favorite part was how natural a storyteller David actually was. Um, and I was wondering, yeah. with with your background in journalism, uh, these musicians you speak to, and all these other artists and individuals that you've met over the years, 
How do you get them to be so comfortable around you so quickly? Uh, what strategies do you use as a journalist? You know, these are really, they tend to be very sensitive and observant people. And um, they're in the public eye. So they're kind of good at, at, at figuring out who's full of crap, who's not, who wants something, mm-hmm. and who doesn't. And my very natural agenda was, was I'm a fan. I am lucky enough to be the representative of all the people, you know, in that arena, you know, at a, at a show for the band they love. And I, I got a front row seat. Somehow I was able to have a front row seat. So I'm going to represent them. I'm not going to go in there and work out my own personal you know, what I, you know, I, this is a story about me loving you. No, this is a story about you, Deep Purple, Jethro Tull, Journey. You know, just if you love that band and you ask them questions that show that you love their stuff or at least know the stuff, they start to open up. And the best thing is when it becomes a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's the best. And really early on, we used to watch, um, this interviewer, Dick Cavett. The Dick Cavett Show! Who, in fact, is in the Crosby film. Mm-hmm. He interviews Crosby, Stills Nash, and uh, Jefferson Airplane, and Joni Mitchell and stuff. The night of Woodstock. And, um, you know, he's just such a great interviewer. And I remember seeing that as a little kid uh, when we were watching it. But Dick Cavett's thing was conversational. You know? Just like... He, he would have people like Marlon Brando on his show, and he'd be like, "Hey, Marlon, so uh, what you eat today?" <laughs> you just you love it because immediately you're just like in the living room with these people talking about real stuff. It's great. Yeah, it's it's truly it's awesome. And you know, for somebody who came up to uh, and learned about journalism through people like uh, like you, I I mean, it's it's cool to see your progress and how you are able to have these people open up. And it's funny you mentioned Dick Cavett because I'm a huge Dick Cavett fan. And I and myself, I yeah. kind of model my journalism and and my interviews after him. And I got to speak with him at South oh, by Southwest. Fantastic. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I spoke with him at South by Southwest two two years ago and. And speaking with Dick Cavett, the thing that really opened up the conversation was talking about all the good times that he had at this summer house that he had built. And I was like, this this is the thread that I want to pull because getting people to open up, you know, about things that they're kind of, I guess, tired of talking about if they're on a junction or a junket or something like that is is yeah. truly a it's a great thing. I mean, most of my favorite conversations come from somebody's uh, over a cup of coffee. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know what? Um, making a movie. those are the best conversations that you have with your actors too where it's just not like I want this really what else do you want it's like no just let's have coffee and talk about how much fun it'll be to get things right yeah it's uh, it's just always better when it's conversation between people when you would interview these bands, did you open up with just straight into the interview kind of questions, or did you kind of ease into it with, uh, like again, like Dick Cavett style, what did you eat today? You know, it depends. It's, it's, it's everything you, you already do naturally. It's mm-hmm. just being open to whatever the situation is. And, uh, you know, like you and me talking about, you know, 
today and how it's feeling, whatever. It just automatically you get a sense of of, of, of who the people are who are talking, you and them, mm-hmm. and it starts being fun. Sometimes, if there's somebody, if there's somebody you're interviewing that has you know a, a trauma mm-hmm. or something that you're going to have to get to, obviously you don't open with that. You you uh, you talk about what the latest thing is and ease into it. Yeah, yeah. And Matt you... Damon uh, once said something like on a junket, he um, he knew the movie was in trouble if if uh, there was one or two questions about the current project and then everything else was about body of work stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's, similarly, similarly, you know, it's always good to talk about what the latest project is mm-hmm. before you get into the past. Yeah. And sometimes the latest project is exactly what you want to talk to talk about like this. <laughs> yeah exactly well that's true and but i loved i love this film because i'm i'm a huge music guy myself and you know you're seeing all these the new movie david crosby remember remember my name but you see all these other biopics that are coming out now with the elton john the bohemian yeah. rhapsody would you yourself i mean you're you have such a great music background and music mind would you ever want to take one of these on and who would it be besides david oh Joni mitchell um Marvin Gaye really is is the is the the big one. Oh, that'd be a great story. Make a film about Marvin Gaye for a long time, and I've actually uh, written the script. So if if my my uh, my time ever comes on that, I'm ready. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, basically, I love a movie. I love Rocket Man. I thought Rocket Man was uh, was a brilliant kind of. Uh, expression of Elton John's music, and I like when when a film about an artist makes you feel like the, the music or the art or the painting of the artist that it's about. You know, it's like you, if you want to see if you want to see a film about you know Amy Winehouse, mm-hmm. let me feel like that Amy Winehouse music makes me feel. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm watching it. So. I, I love that. Like when one of those movies is able to catch the spirit of the band, it doesn't have to be Citizen Kane, but if it gives you the feeling of that artist on that level, I think Bohemian Rhapsody was incredibly successful. You know, it really made you feel like, like, uh, like a clean record. Yeah. And, uh, and Elton John, even more so. Man, it, it's so it's so cool that they're finally making these kind of movies again. Because you love, I love just learning about the artists that I live, the people behind the sounds and the albums, and it's amazing. Um, totally. Speaking on that, you know, taking Tom Petty too. By the way, I would, I would, oh, I would make a movie about Tom Petty. Absolutely. Oh, could you imagine that story? So let's get to the point. Let's roll. Another joy in this hill. Oh, yeah. Tom Petty, one of his last shows was here in Chicago at Wrigley Field. What an, an amazing, an amazing oh, artist. Man. You know, are you still going to shows and, and checking out bands these days? Sure. What, How can you not? What are some of the uh, up, What are the, some of the most recent shows that you've been to, and what what kind of bands uh, does are in Cameron Crowe's world at the moment? <laughs> uh, I saw Promise of the Real the other day at the, the Troubadour, and they were incredible. They're just such a great, great band. Wow. Um, saw Brandy Carlisle, oh. love her. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's fun going to shows. And, you know, the sad part of it is the streaming doesn't pay the artists a lot, but the good part of it is 
you can see them playing a lot because that's that's how most of them survive now. So people have really honed their performing skills. And, you know, it's really good to go to clubs and see these artists and support them. Mm-hmm. And it's also good to buy the music. Yeah. Um, whenever possible. Are you spinning? Do you listen to music as, on as your... Crosby will tell you. He's like, <laughs> streaming doesn't pay. Streaming doesn't pay. Do you want to work for a month and get a nickel? That's what I do. You know? <laughs> I I loved how real David Crosby is because you know I knew I only knew the story, but to see him t- talk the way that I pictured it was just uh, it was just yeah. a cool experience. <laughs> um, so let's talk, let's dive back into the movie. So you know, taking on such these monolithic characters that you've had, uh, you know, Jeff Spicoli, Jerry Maguire, William Miller, and now David Crosby. Is there a th- <laughs> it's so funny the way you say it? <laughs> Is there a through line that kind of links all these characters together for you? When you say it, I feel like David Crosby is definitely the through line to Jeff Spicoli. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the Don Corleone of Spicoli. He's like I love that. <laughs> he is uh, he's the king from which all stoners come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's he that's so funny. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love writing a character that just kind of speaks for themselves. You know, writing a character like Spicoli was based on a real guy, but a lot of them are based on real people. Mm-hmm. This real life is definitely the most creative collaborator. Yeah. <laughs> real life has the best, most bizarre ideas. It's, it's true when and, they say you can't make so, that stuff up. You know, you often cannot make that stuff up or you can make it up and then real life does it better. It just happens all the time, and um, what's what's great is to I don't know. I feel like I'm always a journalist. Mm-hmm. I'm always just kind of you know looking at life, and I just feel lucky enough to have a job where I can tell stories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and everyone should go and check out David Crosby. Remember my name. Now he did open the open the movie talking about a story from Chicago. Do you have any good stories from the city of Chicago? You know I have good stories from Chicago. The the <laughs> the, the movie uh, Say Anything with mm-hmm. John Cusack probably would not exist, you know, or definitely wouldn't exist uh, in the same way without Chicago. We could not find the guy to play Lloyd Dobler in that movie. And I always loved John Cusack. I had heard he didn't want to do any more movies where he played a teenager, mm-hmm. but he was willing to meet with me. And uh, so I flew to Chicago, and he was sitting in this coffee shop near where he lived. He was turned away from me. He had a big leather jacket on. He had a scarf around his head. Even turned away from me, I knew he was the guy. That's the guy. Cusack's a big guy. I didn't know that. He, he And the character is a kickboxer, right? So I'm looking at him, and he turns, and then I really knew he was the guy. He didn't want to do the movie at first. But I was never going to give up. He was the guy. So we just spent time together there, getting to know each other. We're kind of like dancing around whether he would do the movie. And he took me to all of his friends' houses. And they were playing Public Enemy for the first time I was hearing like that stuff. Yeah. And we were playing uh, Replacements and Clash. And I just like thought, Chicago, this is the best city in the world this sense of community and like we go to another place and it was his friend Spoonie G and then there's Jeremy Piven and the Piven family. And I'm just like, I love Chicago. 
And the other great memory I have is um, in 1975, in, being in Chicago, writing about Led Zeppelin for Rolling Stone. And that was Chicago Stadium. Oh my gosh! That, that so I dig Chicago. I can, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love like Jim DeRogatis and oh. uh, mm-hmm. and Greg Cott. I like those guys. I just love the fact that you are so genuine when it comes to your love of music. There's just it's something you know. There's so much negativity in the world that music is the one true positive that just can keep everything going. Which I, I, I it's so true. There's nothing more That's positive great. than a song. So true. I wanted to know, what was the first album that your mom or dad or brother or sister put on when you're like, you know, wow, this music thing is something different? Well, I'll tell you that my sister went up to San Francisco and she ran into people up there. She met people that that really showed her what what great music was Mm -hmm. because my mom didn't let it into the house. She was a strict teacher, you know, who really believed that pop culture was corrupting. (laughs) My sister goes to San Francisco. She comes back with three records. She comes back with The Doors, Strange Days, Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the Holding Company, Cheap Thrills with that amazing album cover, Robert Crumb artwork and stuff, and The Birds' Greatest Hits. Which features a guy in a Russian hat and a mustache, and I'm I'm a little guy going, I'll never be able to grow a mustache like that. But how cool it would be! And that was Crosby. Yeah, coincidentally. So she kind of smuggled these records into our house, and that became you know a, a, a thing. You know, I, I just that, that music and those album covers and everything felt so subversive and amazing. And the next thing I knew, I was trying to win records on the radio so I could get records too. Mm-hmm. And I won Buffalo Springfield again, which was my first record. Jeez, um, you know, so all roads lead to Neil Young, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the case. That's an incredible, and oh, man, see, I, I love that because it's usually the people that you trust the most that bring you that great music. And the fact that you got that's three bangers so right there. <laughs> so, bangers. So she didn't let me have the records. I had to go get my own. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that happens sometime. So, hey, uh, it was great talking to you today, Cameron. Remember, the, you mov- the movie is called David Crosby, Remember My Name. Uh, before I let you, last question, there's a lot of music journalists out there who want to walk in your footsteps, who are sitting in their mom or dad's basement, penning over you know, pads of paper, listening to these same albums. What kind of advice can you give those people sitting in their mom or dad's bed- uh, basement or their bedrooms to get to the point where you are today? Write what you love. Write it like it's all a letter to a close friend. Mm-hmm. Make it personal. It'll be great. Cameron Crow, this is a total honor to talk to you today. One of the greatest music fans there is, one of the greatest music writers. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on WGN. Thanks, Mike. Take care, brother. 